Stephen Galbraith is the curator of the Cary Graphic Arts Collection. Housed at the Wallace Center at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And he is here with Amelia Hugel Fontanelle, who is the assistant curator at the same institution. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Why should I visit your library? Well, our library attempts to document the history of graphic arts and the history of written communication. For those of people who are interested in the history of printing, this is a place to come and see the development of book, book design, type design, book binding, all the sort of um, physical aspects of the book that people find exciting. And along with that, uh, we have a wonderful collection of some 40,000 books and dozens of primary source archives on book design, also graphic design, art direction. We have a wonderful collection of presses. So you've actually got the physical presses on site. That's right. That the literary tourist could come in and not necessarily run, but definitely uh, see a, check a out. demonstration and all the accoutrements that went with uh, running a press shop. So it's not only the physical press, which is made of iron or wood, but also all of the fonts of type in metal and wood, and then all of the inking systems and paper delivery systems, so the whole package that you would have needed in order to be a publisher or a printer from Gutenberg, 1450s in Germany, up until the middle of the 20th century. It's amazing, isn't it, how mm-hmm. it really hasn't changed that greatly right. uh, over the years, just, I suppose, because it was so effective. Right, and it's an incredible mark of quality, even today, when you receive something letterpress printed. Yeah. And I think that's why it still has followers. As I understand it, your mandate is and has been to document the history of printing and bookbinding, etc. So how have you gone about doing that? Well, the, the collection started in 1969 with a collection of about 2,500 books that belong to Melbert Carey Jr., whom the uh, uh, library is named after. And uh, his interest was in printer's manuals, type specimens, and similar kind of books. And, and that really influences the, the collection development policy that was followed in the decades after. Particularly my predecessor, David Pankow, went about collecting, in, in, the, in the same manner, expanded out to um, exemplars of fine printing, really since the 15th century onward. Although the strengths of this collection, or the research strengths, uh, begin really in the, the late 18th century. And so strengths, what, what are the strengths then? The history of um, type design is something that is well documented here in a very exciting way. And that, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that so many modern type designers have come out of uh, RIT, whether they're students or, or faculty here. So what you've done is you've pulled together a collection of the best examples of all sorts of different components of the book itself as yes. object, and as a result of that, students and literary tourists mm-hmm, can right. come in here and see the best that's ever been produced. Absolutely. This Melbourne Carey fellow, he was an importer of metal type from Europe to the United States, and he was active in New York City in the 1920s the 40s. Did he make his money in printing or somewhere else? No, he didn't. Okay. He was uh, he was married to uh, an heiress, railroad, <laughs> real estate, and oil. 
That's the way to go. And so he had some money at his disposal, but he did continue these businesses, and he was so successful that he was uh, president of American Institute of Graphic Arts at one point, AIGA. It's still running today. It is, and it's just as an aside, uh, mm-hmm. their, their website enables you to go back to their 20s, and you can f- see all the winning books themselves. Yeah, so for a collector, it's a great resource. But he was successful at importing these types from different foundries in Europe, De Borinia, Penio, Klingspor, Stempel, Bauer, different key foundries. His interest was type. That was his business. And um, many of the books that we had from his first collection were these type specimens. So we're showing a catalog that these foundries would issue. We had continued to collect type specimens from early times up until the modern type specimen that these digital foundries are creating and, and you know people ask me well, why is it called a foundry when there's no molten metal involved in here and it's you know another term that just harkens directly back to our, our rich history what's happening now we're even started to revive faces from books that were in the Carey collection people right. working at Adobe people working for Agfa Monotype or Monotype Imaging as it's called now People working for their own companies who are developing typefaces for digital devices like the Xbox or the Droid phone. They all came to RIT at one time. It says something, obviously, to the importance of knowing the tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like poetry, you know, you need to know the, the rules and the forms before you can, can break them or know mm-hmm. how to break them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to concentrate on type. I mean, we're sitting right now in a room that's all about the history of bookbinding, mm-hmm. the history and practice of bookbinding, which is a collection that was came to RIT, I think, in 1989, from a fellow named Bernard Middleton, who is British, and he was a very well-known and respected book repairer and book restorer and bookbinder in his own right. In England or here? He in England. Part of this room here is his reference collection. This is his secondary resources, which you've actually digitized. Yes, um, all of the pre-1923 things out of copyright were scanned and available, so you can flip through and see the, the contents of the Middleton collection on the history and practice of bookbinding. Over along this wall are exemplars, fine binding. I guess that's what this Cary collection offers, is secondary resources that will provide details on how to do it, and then reflecting that, representative samples of how it was done and what the end results were. Sure, especially with modern collections that we've developed just recently with like 20th century graphic artists and designers and book designers. I think they're just so priceless in that not only do we have the finished work, which was you know commissioned by Harcourt or Knopf, but sometimes in some cases we have all the process work behind it. So you can see how that designer worked or whom he had to talk to, the chain of command, in talking to an editor or <laughs> the author. The whole, again, the, the involvement and the process. The, the photo stats or the films that had to come out of that, or just the hand calligraphy that went on the title dust jacket. It could be as little as, oh, here's the first manuscript, and, and the, the book designer marked it up to delineate where he wanted to make a color change or it can be as, as extensive as the whole package of the whole book that that person was involved in. We have a, um, a large part of the Herman Zoff archive here, and you can really see his process and see the um, design and the evolution of his work, and it's a, it's a knockout. I think the students really respond, and, and again, I say they're both inspired, but they're also taking practical lessons away from it. Let's say I'm a fan of the Golden Cockerel Press. I love William Morris, and more recently... 
I don't know if you get into Chip Kid or people that design dust jackets, but would I come to you with my my collecting interests beforehand? Well, I think it's advisable just because it would give us a time to to really find all the resources we have that uh, that could help you. When people drop in, we're excited they're here. We help yeah. them, but it just might take a little longer. And really, it's great when, when someone has a reference question and they come in and look at some, some objects, and maybe we're not familiar with it, but the process that we have to go through of finding what we have, and it's a learning experience for us as well. Well, so. yeah, often they bring a certain expertise and knowledge that will help you yeah. to a street. So that's one method of enjoying your collection. The other one, obviously, would be to come and just visit various exhibitions that mm-hmm. you put on. And you have some plans in that area, I understand. Yeah, no, Amelia and I, over the last couple of weeks, have been putting together our exhibition schedule, looking several years out. One on forage painting. There's a nice uh, forage painting collection here. We do one on book binding. What we're really excited about is in uh, 2013, we want to have a pretty major exhibition on, on the history of type and type design. Any particular reason for 2013? Is it an anniversary of something in particular? or? Uh, no, I think it, it's. Um, not that we know of yet, no. <laughs> no, but, uh, no. Retroactively, I'm sure you can figure something out. Yeah. No, when we met and we started planning, we, we realized of all the exhibitions, because of the strength of the, the carry collection when it comes to the history of type design, that we needed to do a really, really strong exhibition. And to do a strong exhibition, I think we wanted that many years out. You know, we hope to have a nice publication come with it through the uh, Carry Graphic Arts Press here. Some of the other things that we might together are, uh, I know you're interested in private presses, kind of, um, this 15th anniversary of this press called 21st Editions, they're nice. a photographic publisher, they synthesize uh, beautiful photographic processes with letterpress or nice bindings and sometimes include prints. Where are they from? Actually, they're partly here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. I think they're in... I think they're Martha's Vineyard. Very luscious, luxurious books. Just in winding down, perhaps you could talk about specific publishing houses or designers. One that really sticks out in my mind that I don't think a lot of people know is the designer Ismar David, immigrant from Germany and active up until the um, 1990s. And he was a book designer, a calligrapher, he designed his own typefaces. He did industrial um, designs and stained glass, things like that. And we have his complete archive, just a fascinating fellow. And when I was just describing before the whole process of it, we have it all for all of the works he did for many different publishers. He was mm. really active in limited editions clubs, especially. Did he do dust jackets? He or? did jackets, or he'd do the whole, the the whole, whole book? book for you, including the illustrations inside. And he had a very mm. specific illustration style. Um, he used okay. a lot of different colors and a lot of evocative line art. So that's one. Another person that we have just a, a giant wealth of information on is a, a gentleman named Paul Standard, who was a researcher in the art of penmanship and calligraphy. How does that pertain to the, to the book? Other than the fact that type comes from calligraphy. Well, that's, right. I think that's a big part of it. So he's done a lot of research on that relationship? I don't think so. I think his, his main focus was penmanship and how we should save that. And this is 60s, 70s. But the thing was, with Paul Standard's collection, he corresponded with everybody. Everybody you can imagine in the book trades. It's, it's like this, this nexus, like we were talking, the, the synthesis of all these different people in the field. So if you wanted to 
you know, talk about Paul's Sanders' relationship with Herman Zaff when we have 10 folders on just their correspondence, and he wow. actually helped Herman Zaff get over to the United States. He did a lot of um, work with different type designers, different book designers, so that's very interesting to me how just this one person who's little known really affected a whole trade, and mm -hmm. it was book arts and, and book design too. We talked about the type specimen collection, which is almost unbeatable, I think, in the United States. I think it's really mm -hmm. one of the finest in our country. The actual physical uh, typefaces and the, in both metal and wood. Yep, those and then the actual documentation uh, from the companies that issued them. The catalogs, the house organs, things like that. We have just wonderful collections on type. And printer's manuals, too. Mm -hmm. You've got a press that Gowdy, uh, Frederick Gowdy, owned. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, like, a good collection on him? Absolutely. And it's not only books that were printed, published by Gowdy, written by Gowdy, but we have a, a very fine collection of his typefaces, which were are now all lost because he had a fire in his workshop that destroyed all of the the molds and patterns for his types. And so, from a man named Howard Coggeshall, we have some of the only surviving metal typefaces by uh, Frederick Gowdy, and also a lot of interest from him. So different collections from. Friends of Gowdy who assembled photographs by him or letters by him. Yeah, and it's not only paper and metal, it's it's actual sculptural objects. So I have Gowdy's, Fred Gowdy's cigarette case that's monogrammed with the letter G. And I have a funny plaster cast of his hand. <laughs> so many times it's, it's not only books and papers, it's, it's actual objects and artifacts. Which is sort of appropriate for the bibliophile who sure. loves to get their hands on things that the authors may have taught. Absolutely. You know? But the hand is a curse, right? Yes. I don't know if I want to perpetuate the curse, but uh, I was a graduate of RIT, and one of my professors had that, that plaster cast of Fred Gowdy in his office for many years. He always said that it was cursed. If whomever would touch it, they were going to get a curse visited upon them. Or whoever knows how many years, he, he didn't know, but because one of his office mates accidentally touched it moving a book on her on the shelf one day, and she was visited upon with three flat tires in the parking lot in February that day. And of course, for Rochester, New York, that's bad. <laughs> to be stuck in the cold. Yeah. So, what was this with the cast of his hand, you said? Yes, okay. and it's, I affectionately call it the paw. Fred Gowdy, he was, um, he was a big man. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like Cousin It from uh, the Adams Family. I actually lectured on um, the Gowdy cast this summer, I had to photograph it, and I had my hands all over it, so I just took it upon myself to, to brave the curse. So, <laughs> stay tuned if I'm still around <laughs> a couple years. We'll come back in a year. Right, so, right. Uh, any other names come to mind that in particular strengths, specific individuals? Early 20th century, we have such wonderful things in the private press field. Um, for those of you who love Bruce Rogers, Riverside yeah. Press, Mary yeah. Mount Pleasant, and they were kind of uh, side by side. We have a, a lovely um, Updike collection, a Bruce Rogers collection, and we have the punches for some of the centaur types and a Rigi, which of course Bruce Rogers designed. 
and we might be getting them recast in metal. Yeah. So there's a there's a company. It looks like a go. Yeah. There's a company in uh, New Jersey called Dale Guild Type Foundry that is interested in doing a publication on Bruce Rogers Centaur, and so they've asked us if if they can borrow the the molds, the matrices, so they can do some recasting mm-hmm. and issue a broadside. That's where you know these historical items, even though they are just metal, they they sing in the 21st century because so many more people will be exposed to that. And if it goes well, maybe we can. We have a few other punches. The Spiral Type, which is in use at Spiral Press, which was owned by Joe Blumenthal, very prolific private press in business for 45 years. And also very active with the AIGA. Too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and Limited Editions Club again, those yeah. usual suspects. And I found there's a lot of book art centers opening up across the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as somebody starts issuing classic type, you know, oh, it sure. opens the door for them to acquire those pieces mm-hmm. too and then ignite a whole new generation. Well, Centaur probably make its way around, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you can still Who purchase designed it. That, that one? Bruce Rogers. Yeah. Great. Sounds like a place for bibliophiles to head on over to. I'd like to thank you for, for giving us a taste of what your library has to offer and best of luck with the, with the exhibitions that are coming up in the, in the coming years. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned on our website. And that website is uh, carrie, C-A-R-Y dot R-I-T dot E-D-U. I'd be speaking with Amelia Hugel font Anel <laughs> and uh, Stephen Galbraith. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me.